Good morning. That was a good one, Steve. <laughs> He's not that bright this morning, I think. So. No. <clears throat> okay. I've been told I mustn't come too far forward because of feedback and sound systems. That would be very difficult for me. Adam? Oh, well, leave it there. Okay, I'm going to leave the introduction to a little bit later. I'd like us to read from Luke 15. So if you've got your iPads or your phones, or if it's available on the screen, it would be handy for those mothers who are holding babies. If possible, well, there we go. Just a little context, Jesus has been talking to a large crowd of people. He's been talking about the cost of discipleship, which is a point for another week. That's not what we're dealing with this morning. And um, as, the, as the crowds drew, drew near to Jesus, um, he, he, he says this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, Verse 1 of Luke 15 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners, though they were two culturally different types of people seen in their community and society, which is something we'll touch on later, were all drawing near to hear him. If you go back to last week, remember we had a word spoken to us about the shelves and hearing what God has to say to us. Essentially, that will come through reading his word and what we're going to read this morning. So you might find something, as I read this passage, you might find something stands out for you particularly. And that's how we should come to God's word when we read it. This amazing book. We focused on the individual this morning. How is it that God actually speaks to you as an individual through this book when it's so universal? Amazing. Just want to say there's a seed for you this morning. Someone mentioned the word message earlier on. I think it's Barry when he was praying with me. The message. There's a message for you this morning that may come even through not particularly what I'm saying, but as we read the word. That is, that, that is the point, and that's why I'm reading this this morning. So this crowd of people draw near to Jesus, and they're drawing near to hear him. So, carrying on from Carrie's word for us last week, shall we just do that in our spirits, draw near? That, that's why we're here. That's why your bum's on your seat this morning. It's because we've come to hear him. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to draw near. It's good being here, Father. It's good seeing everybody. We are a family. But Lord, we're here to hear you speak to us this morning. I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come in a new way to reveal new truths to us? Um, truths we know in a new light. 
Holy Spirit, make an emphasis on something to each one of us this morning as you can because we are drawing near to hear those shells amidst the stones, to hear your still small voice to us this morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So verse 1 of Luke 15, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled or muttered, as another version puts it, muttered, I love that word. Have you ever heard Christians muttering? I've heard Christians muttering. (laughs) Yeah. This man receives sinners and eats with them. We're talking about family. And you know there's an amazing dynamic here. Jesus who receives people that other groups wouldn't receive. And he eats with them. Now the Jewish religious people, they couldn't, they, this was totally foreign to them. They couldn't understand it. Jesus was doing something different. As a church, we can do different things to love the people. So because they grumbled and muttered, he told them this parable. And this trilogy comes out of this, that they grumbled, they muttered. They were actually incensed. The religious leaders were incensed at what Jesus was doing. They, they couldn't hack it. He was different. He's different. Culturally different, socially different, in every way. This man came from heaven, but he has such values that drew people to himself. So verse 4, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country? It's strange, I was reading this the other day and I always envisaged them in the sheepfold, you know, at night, but it doesn't. He left them in the open country and go after the one that is lost. I think most of you will know this story, but it's good to refresh in our minds on it um, because it's, it's so amazing. And when he has found this sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or... What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Amen. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It would be easy for me to be quite forensic about this amazing trilogy, but I don't want to do that particularly this morning. There are some interesting things in this story. But let's get back to the introduction. Last week, Steve started and opened up um, that we're a family. Amazingly brought us how wonderful that is, that God knits us so amazingly together as a family and that we share a DNA, which is Unbelievable really, when you think about it. And um, just to take a look at this, we, to be a family of Jesus' followers reaching across Herm Bay and further. And I just want to focus for a minute on this further. Our story tells us, or the trilogy tells us, of the amazing steps further that we can take. The lost sheep, the shepherd, male or female, we don't know. But this shepherd left 
the 99 and went out and looked for the sheep until he found it. We're a church, we're a family of Jesus followers and we're on a mission and we really want to take things further. Now there's an aching void in the community of people that Jesus was telling this, you know, exposing this, this trilogy to. The aching void is that they didn't understand the Father's heart. They didn't understand the Father's heart. You see, in the, in, uh, you have these three parts of the story, the shepherd and the woman who lost the coin and the, the father who lost his son. In each story, when it's lost, something happens and they take it a step further. And as we're in Briary this morning and as a church on a mission, we want to go a little bit further. I think that's our heart, isn't it? To go a little bit further. We're in Briary, and we just want to step out. Last night, um, and, and, that, and that is in Herne Bay and further and beyond. You know, we talk about locally and globally. Um, we're, we're part of a family of churches called Relational Mission, and it, within that context, we, we experience the amazing things that are happening in, our, in other countries. Um, so, we want to take things further, don't we? I love what evangelism means, but it can become so hard sometimes. I, I've grown up with evangelism being drummed into me, that in my spirit there's a little bit of rejection about it. But something that does appeal to me is being able to show people the Father's heart to show them what Jesus is really like and how that and how that what that means and i think in this trilogy it exposes the father's heart the story about the lost sheep that lost sheep may have been one in a number and it wasn't number 1 until the shepherd went out looking for it and brought it all the way back it was so important to him or her to find that sheep and to bring it back to be with the other sheep. We know that um, Jesus is depicted as a good shepherd. And so in a sense, we could ask ourselves, who, who is the hero in this trilogy? Who is the main character who is the real man? Who and what is the outcome of this story? What is the main thing? And it's really that Jesus is trying to begin to help people understand the Father's heart. Because it deals with two domestic situations and then it goes to a family situation. Or we could... We could say it was a commercial situation with the sheep and then it was a domestic situation with the coin but when it comes to the third part of the story it deals with people. So in a sense this trilogy is not about sheep or coins, it's about people. And God's heart, his father heart is for people. We want to understand that, don't we?
We just want to tell people that God loves them and how he has shown his Father's heart to the world. And in each of these stories, it is that they took it a step further. And we can too. It's amazing, isn't it? So this, that lost sheep, he was one in a number, but he wasn't number one until the shepherd or shepherdess went out looking for that sheep. Now, the sheep wouldn't have understood it all, all about that at all. But there's one thing that is important here in the relationship between the shepherd, shepherdess, and the sheep, and it's the intonation of the shepherd's voice. That's the only thing the sheep can understand, is the intonation of the shepherd's voice. So if the sheep was lost, the shepherd was calling, immediately the shepherd or shepherdess spoke, there would be a jump in that sheep, you know? And going back to the, the word we had last week about the shepherd, about hearing the voice of God, knowing the voice of God speaking to us individually is such an amazing thing. It is such an amazing thing. So let's value what, when God speaks to us things that we need to understand. So understanding the Father's heart. When we come to the story of the woman and the lost coin, um, this story in particular would have cut at the heart of the rabbis. The, rabbi, the Jewish rabbis would tell stories about women from the past, and they would um, you know, talk about their experiences, but one thing they couldn't and wouldn't do was to tell a parable which included a female. Jesus, you think about this, what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, now just look at God for a minute. Let's take the mother, let's take the female aspect and just make God look like this. And Jesus cut it right across culture in order to bring a valuable point. In that society, that religious society was misogynistic. <coughs> you know, the women were downtrod. You, I mean, you find Jesus speaking to the woman of Samaria at the well, and he wasn't supposed to do that. As a Jew, he wasn't supposed to do that. As a rabbi, he wasn't supposed to do that. As a rabbi, he wasn't supposed to teach women. They weren't allowed to draw near. Women weren't allowed to draw near to a rabbi. And no one changed the cultural issues about, let me say, female appreciation more than what Jesus did. He changed culture slowly but definitely. And some, when we come together as a church or when we meet other people from uh, other lands or situations or you meet foreigners, you know, we, we have to be careful, don't we, culturally, what we do and what we say. We've got this amazing family just down the road, the Pakistani family, and we had, we had a phone call last night. No, sorry. My, my, my phone pinged. <laughs> Half past ten, we're just getting into bed. And uh, the Pakistani said, would you come over for dinner? We're having macaroni. 
So I had to text back and say, well, we have it. He said, uh, I'm trying to think what he said now, but he said, um, oh, if you're comfortable, come across. We're having macaroni. And I thought, well, we're not comfortable. I was very uncomfortable because I had a full <laughs> meal. And I thought I couldn't handle it. Um, but um, it was just, in a sense, I need to change that they might change. You know, I, I couldn't do anything about it then. Last, last Sunday, we had the family to our house uh, with Sarah and Ivan and another Polish family so that I might, you know, make friends with them. And um, we'd had a good party meal. And I, and I, and I took, the late, took the family back home and dropped them off and said, will you come in for a cup of tea? Must, oh, I thought, well, I need to get back to help Margaret. But um, we went in and um, five minutes, ten minutes... It's taken a long time to make a cup of tea. And then suddenly I... Do you know the sound of fat cooking oil, what it spits when it's been heated up? I thought, I said, she's making me food as well. And out came this great big plate of pakora. And I was so full up. And, um, and I thought, well, I, I need to eat some. We brought the rest. I brought the rest home anyway. Munda, Margaret wondered where I got to. But to get back to the point, Jesus, Jesus changed culture. He understood it and he changed it. And um, so when we look at this, Jesus was speaking right into and against the culture. And he raised the, the female profile, if you like, to a very high point, some which no one else dared would do. As Beacon Church... The elders have been looking at the things we need to avoid so that, I don't want to be sexist in a way or be dominant in one particular point, but in order that our ladies might not get left out in any way and be encouraged, be included in, that we, we, we don't actually do the things which scripture doesn't ask us to do. Jesus did that. And I think that is so amazing. Jesus cut right across culture in order to bring such a valuable point that there is equality in God's family. A tremendous sense of equality. And we need to make sure that we do that. We're talking about cultural differences as we go further. We're talking about family differences in order that we might share Jesus and bring the heart of the Father to them. I was reading this story, I, w- I was interested to know how diligent this woman was. It tells us that she lit a lamp, she swept the floor, and she looked until she found it. And just quickly, the darkness, she lit the lamp because it was dark, she swept the floor because of the debris on the floor, and she looked until she found it. There was a distance, if you like, between her and that coin. And I thought, that really is what Jesus has done for us. He is the light which has overcome the darkness. He's got rid of the debris, our sin, if you like, and he's also made the distance between heaven and earth so that we might come in to be, to coin the phrase, to be found, to be brought into his 
family. And I thought to myself, you know, Jesus is saying here, that's what God is like. That's what God is like. And, and I'll take a lady to show you. The darkness, the debris, and the distance. I could hear her saying, well, it's here somewhere. <coughs> if you're like me, our family, I lose things, Margaret finds them. Okay? Was that a yes, John? <laughs> you haven't said yes, Kevin. Are you okay on that floor? You could see her. It's, well, it's here. It's here somewhere. It can't be very far away. But I'm going to keep looking until I find it. These three stories tell us how God is so, so personally involved and loves us so much. You know that he goes a step further. He goes beyond what's immediately there to find us. Jesus is the light which is shone in the world. He's overcome the darkness. Okay? He's dealt with the dirt and the debris of our lives. All our sin was placed upon him. All our sin was placed upon him. And the distance. So near. Have you said this before? So near. But so far away. So near, yet so far away. And Jesus has taken that step from heaven and earth in order that we might be free. To be a family of Jesus followers, reaching across Herm Bay and further. Isn't that what Jesus did? When Jesus was coming up to the point in time when he was to be crucified, you'll note this little phrase, he went a little further. He went a little further. And is that a mandate for each one of us, you know, as we work together as family? To go a little further. That's the step that we can take. So as all good fathers do, they go the extra mile. And that's borne out in the third story in this trilogy, that of the, what we know as the prodigal son. But he went further. The real hero in the story is Jesus, if we read behind the lines. And he didn't need anybody to tell them that, although you'll notice that those grumbling religious leaders said, this man... There's the hero. He receives sinners and eats with them. And um, if you read lots of um, Christian literature or publications like the Heart Paper we have and, uh, and other evangelical things that are happening, how important meals together are becoming. Jesus was actually 
doing something amazing here by receiving people and eating with them. That's in a sense why I'm trying to... Um, April met this Pakistani family and it was amazing God's, God was obviously in this. But to eat with them, he's going to try and show Jesus to them. This third story about the father and the son, it goes from two stories which seem unrelated at first place, but they lead up to this one. And I think this is an amazing story, isn't it, about the father and the son. It totally cuts across Jewish culture. The, in the, within the Jewish family, if they had a son, the first son and the eldest son was, you know, the most important sibling, if you like, most important child. And that, this was a God-given thing, and a God-ordained thing, that um, the first child should be given back to God. Um, it was a Jewish rite, um, but it, it complied with the, the ideas of what we have as people giving the first fruits back to God, whether it's uh, our work, our earnings, or whatever we do. Whatever we have is to give the first back to God. And so, in a sense, the, the first uh, became the important one. But it became that the Jewish families actually may overemphasize this, or they made it into something different. It became something they had to do. And what happened was it turned out, turned into favoritism. Favoritism. And there's always a danger within families for favoritism to crop up, isn't there? Always a danger for favoritism to crop up. But what this father did for this son by giving him the best robe and sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger, he's saying, you're just important as the older son. There was that sense of equality and that sense of Jesus or the character in this story, the main character in this story, the father doing something which other families needed to do. And that's to make sure no one was being left out, despite the trouble he'd caused and the disruption he brought to the family. And sometimes that becomes a difficult issue. But this is the heart of the father. To make people who don't appear, or people who've grated on us, or people who have hurt us, or people who don't fit the bill, seem to fit the bill sometimes, to say, you're just important as me. You're just as important as me. And so the father, this was the heart of the father, to make people feel important. And Jesus did that. He made them important as himself. Now that's an amazing concept. This is the God of heaven making me like him. The heart of the Father is such an amazing thing. Being my early years being brought up in a strict religious sort of genre, if you like, or I suppose I found it difficult to have the heart of a father. And I could see this in my early married years 
It was, I, my dad was a good dad, but he was, could be quite judgmental. My mum was a good mum, but she fired scriptures at you like this till you found yourself down here. In a sense, you, so if you did something that was like, you felt very religious, you felt you'd, you'd achieved something. But let's talk about the heart of the Father, that he loves us as we are, as an individual, as a person. And this is what makes up family. And families want to go further. Overarching the, these, uh, you know, the, these words that we, we have up here, see it's called this series Horizons. What is your horizon as we take a step further? What's it do for you when you even look at or contemplate the horizon? I suppose most of us have looked out on the horizon. I know Barry and Maureen have because they have a plethora of pictures showing the horizon and the sunsets, which are beautiful. And other people too, missionaries used to come back from uh, overseas and they used to, the last picture very often used to be the horizon where the sun was setting, you know? And um, late in the 19th century, an unknown artist depicted a traveler who reaches the horizon where the sky appears to meet the ground Kneeling in a stylized terrestrial landscape, he pokes his head through the firmament to experience the unknown. Now, now this is just sort of a painting that has been painted, you know. The, uh, so the image known as the Flammarion engraving illustrates the human quest for knowledge or the human quest for something if you like, something more. Either it depicts, sorry, two possible interpretations of the visual metaphor correspond to two sharply different conceptions of knowledge. Either it depicts an imaginary barrier that in reality science can always pass through, or it shows a real barrier that we can penetrate only in our imagination. So you get the picture. Um, a traveller is there on the horizon. The heaven meets earth. And um, in one sense, it's a barrier that only science can deal with. Or it's something in the imagination that we make up. And there seems to be, in that picture, there seems to be a reality, the lack of reality, of what it's really about. So it either depicts an imaginary barrier that in reality science can always pass through, or it shows a real barrier that we can penetrate only in our imagination. But neither of those things are actually true. You can't explain the horizon with science, and it's not just an imagination, it's there. But, so actually, neither real or imaginary barrier exists, which leaves us with this. The horizon is a phenomenon of our sphere. It evokes in us wonder and a quest for more. Would you say that's real? 
You say, I, I can't get there, but I, I just love to take it all in. I'd, I'd love to be there, and when you get there, there's another horizon. So it evokes in us wonder, and it evokes in us something, but actually it's a phenomenon of our sphere. It evokes in us a quest for more, and this more than the natural eye can see or science cannot explore, what we have in Christ by the amazing grace of God is far more than the eye can see or lip can tell. Science can't touch it. Intellect can't handle it. Your two pair hands can't grab hold of it. Money can't buy it. Effort cannot earn it. And apathy cannot avoid it. That's a long song. But do you know that you could have it just where you're sitting, right in your seat, by believing Jesus and accepting him? What's your horizon? What's my horizon? What is our next step? I'm just going to close. Um, we played a new game at Chris, Christmas introduced by our extended Polish family. It's called the Mafia. You heard of it? Okay. It's great. <laughs> I didn't get it. But everyone closed their eyes and a detective was appointed and witnesses were appointed and it was the other, oh, the mafia. Oh, you've introduced another one we haven't heard of. Doctor? The doctor, okay. What I'm going to ask you to do now, this is an opportunity, if you don't know Jesus as your saviour, could the rest of us, like that mafia game, close our eyes. Jesus has reached out to us and shown us the heart of the Father, how much he loves us, the steps he's taken towards us. I hope you've got your eyes closed because you can't play this game if you've got them open. You can have the saviour, eternity, forgiveness of sins right where you are now. Just by sitting there and reaching out in your heart, your mind, to him, for what he's done for you. If, if you've done that, and no one else will see because they've got their eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to stand. You, this is your moment. You want to receive Jesus as your saviour. You, you feel the Holy Spirit's nudging you, but you need to take your bet. The real man in that story was the one up who got up and went back. He was the real man in the story because he did something about his need and went back to his father. That opportunity now is yours. God's given you this moment to get up.
I'm not even looking and I don't know whether there's anybody standing. But you don't have to stand. You can still make that choice. If you're standing, you can sit down. There's no detective here, only God. He knows. The Bible says, the Lord knows them that are his. But he also knows them who aren't his. So this is a moment for you to reach out and receive Jesus. Thank you, Father. Okay, you can open your eyes. Game's over. Thank you. Coffee served now, I think. It is, it is. There's much to chew on there. Thank you, David. We're going to be uh, pressing in more into the practicalities of what it means to be 